Welcome to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, where our goal is to connect listeners to the great outdoors with hosts Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. I'm host Ben Brandell, owner of Meant to Be Outdoors, instructor of outdoor skills, and passionate about personal growth. I'm host Brian Hoffmeyer, wildlife biologist and avid outdoorsman. Welcome back to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. I'm your host Brian with my co-host Ben Brandell, and today we're going to be talking about late season deer hunting we have been out and about for several days trying to harvest some late season deer and we have lots of good memories from the past that we're going to share with you today but before we get started we need to give thanks a few days ago my truck broke down and kind of stressed me out (laughs) i know kind of stressed me out it uh it has been weighing on me and and like anything in life when when uh, you're used to to things working consistently and they break and you haven't maybe you know prepared or thought through how am i going to fix this it causes problems, you know, challenges. And so what I'm thankful for is is friends, family, and, and people that I don't know that um, have helped me along the way. And I can't thank them enough for just helping me, whether that be just giving me information, thinking through what should I do, and then actually the friends and family that have helped me to physically take care of the truck, look at the truck, try to fix the truck. Let you borrow a truck in let, the meantime. Let me borrow a truck yeah. to use, you know, and, and I don't even, doesn't even have to be a truck, just a vehicle right. to still get to point A to point B and not having to live a one vehicle life. You know, there are listeners that only have one vehicle and they share it between their whole family and they have to, to get up earlier to drop family members off. And, and listen, if you're living that life, then you're awesome. You know, keep up the determination, the discipline to do that. Um, we're a two vehicle family. And, um, so I'm trying to, well, I'm here to give thanks to the people that are helping me out. And I also want to say that if you have gifts, if you are able to fix vehicles, if you're knowledgeable about vehicles, even if you are knowledgeable about finances and money, whatever that is, whatever gift it is, help other people because man, it feels good when people do it for you. And if you can help somebody just to man, remove that burden off of them for a little bit to give them hope, to give them understanding, do it. Do it just because it's the right thing to do, not because you're you're needing the money to do it. So thank you for friends. Thank you for family that have helped me and, and will continue to help me. Yeah, and I am thankful today for the grocery store because it's been several years since I've had to buy eggs. Yeah. And I had to buy eggs and I was shocked because it cost me $5 for a dozen eggs. And I couldn't believe that. Um, and so it's been a treat, you know, having chickens and, and raising some of your own food and being able to just have the eggs and, and give eggs to people and, and supply. But to be able, when you don't have it, just to go right down the road and get what you need. I think people have seen over the last several years and even in, in some of the uh, current situations we are now that it's not promised. It's nope. not promised. No, nope. we, we're all going to remember forever the toilet paper shortage, and people really having to think like, "How am I going to clean behind in?" But right now, we can go to the store, not only get what we need, but get whatever we want. So I'm thankful for the store that I could go get eggs when I didn't have any. Um, but kind of a weird thing and weird thing in life for God to show you, hey, I'm still. This is a grocery store. It's right down the road. This is still me providing for you. Um, mm-hmm. There may be a time when. when we have chickens or we have cows, and if they aren't producing, then we don't have food. And and there definitely was a time in the past that's like that. And there are people who live like that today uh, because they live in parts of the world that don't have grocery stores right down the street. Um, but I'm thankful for my reality that uh, I have abundance. Definitely. Yes. It's good. S- 
speaking of abundance, trying to fill our freezers, mm-hmm. trying to put some venison in our freezers, you know, you and I love the late season. We do. We love, we hunt it every year. Um, we have not hunted a lot, not only this year, but just in years past. Having young kids, it puts a damper on, on your hunting. Um, some of the places and that we used to have opportunity to hunt are not there anymore. Um, but we still do have a couple places we can go hunt, and we're very thankful for them. They're not ideal situations, but still we're able to go out and enjoy it um, and hunt. And usually in the late season, we're able to put some meat in the freezer. And spoiler alert, this year we did not. <laughs> My heart is still broken. Not for lack of effort, though. No. And you're going to hear about all the effort. I try hard. Um, you know, late season is very different because you're you're so past the rut here you know in in southern states you we're in, we're in southern missouri here but in some of our southern states in the united states in the southeast they're just getting to the rut now they're just getting to the rut i'm seeing some people i follow on social media that are killing some nice bucks because the rut's going on but here we're we're well past the rut matter of fact we have lots of bucks that are, are shedding their antlers already um i had an opportunity to to shoot one yesterday that had no antlers at all that I wasn't about to do that but at first when it came running I thought it was a big doe and then it got closer and I could see that you know it had its antler pedicles there and a lot of people for for that reason in our area in the northern states they don't like the late season because you don't have the excitement of the rut there's not just deer running everywhere but it's a really great time of year especially if you have food sources if you want to harvest a big buck deer can get really predictable their home ranges decrease so they've come out of this rut where they're going all over the place their home ranges really decrease so if you can find where the deer are they're really going to be in this pattern of of bedding to food and they're going to keep that distance as short as possible so if they can find bedding that's close to food their home range is going to be small and if you can get in without spooking them out of there you're going to have a pretty good chance now weather is going to play a role in it we have been in the last several days in this big warm swing I mean, we've had, we were out hunting. It was almost 75 degrees. We're dripping sweat several days in a row. Couldn't wear the same clothes the next day because they were so wet from the day before. So that is not great because these deer are going to, they're going to bed down. You got to remember they're wearing a thick matte coat. I mean, they're wearing, uh, you think your puffy coat's warm. It's like putting on two puffy coats. They're, they're hot and they don't want to move around. They're not burning as many calories. They don't need all the food. So late season gets tough if you have a, a warm swing. It, it does because they're not moving. They're going to move a lot at night. Um, but you can still maybe catch some real late in the evening right before dark. But food sources are so killer. But what's tough for us is the area that we're hunting, there's not really any food sources. So that we don't have this predictability. What we're really looking for is we're trying to find their bedding areas where they're bedding down at. Mm-hmm. Um, and so most people are, are sitting, waiting. For these deer to come out to a food source, usually in a tree stand or a blind for late season, you and I, um, because of the property that we're hunting and the unique situation and really just trying to do something different and exciting, we still hunt. And sometimes spot and stalk if we're able to, but it may turn into a spot and stalk where you're actually glassing these deer and and making a move on them. But mostly we're still hunting. And, And what exactly is that? What does that mean, Ben? Well, for me, it's trying to be as still as possible while still walking. Yes. <laughs> that's what that's, it is. Yeah. It's, that's a, that's a am, good way to sum it up. You know, uh, Brian, I think, tiptoed over like three miles. Mm. Like, tiptoed, which... Took me a long time. You know, we had been doing that for three or four days, but on this last day of the hunt that we had, um, it had rained the day before. So, 
it was a lot easier to, to still hunt because we are walking on leaves and trails. Uh, right. And the trails still have leaves covered on them. And, man, what a difference it makes when they're wet, you know? Yeah. To, to be able to, to. They're not cracking. They're yeah. not cracking and, and crunching. And um, you can. You you have a better opportunity to sneak up on on all kinds of animals, just not just deer, but that's what we were hunting for was deer. Yeah, we're we did see a lot of other animals as well, uh, but yeah, we're trying to sneak up on these deer now. Before we really get into talking about all of our hunts and the stories from the last couple of days, and maybe even from a couple from the past years, what exactly is this this season that Missouri offers? So here in the Ozarks. They used to be called just muzzleloader season. Well, not just in the Ozarks, in Missouri. In Missouri, sorry, yes, in Missouri. And about 10 years ago, they allowed other forms within this season of the year, so they had to change from muzzleloader to what's now called our t- alternative season. In past podcasts, Brian's also talked about adelatl hunting, and this is when you could actually do that, is within the alternative season here in Missouri. So here in Missouri, you and I, love to do the alternative season Mm -hmm. because we love the options that we have um, during this time of year. Yeah, there's uh, several reasons. First of all, we're not good enough with Adelaidles for that to be an option for us. No, no, no. I mean, (laughs) I have thrown one. I've made one. I've thrown one. Yeah. But you're kidding me. I can't even. No, no. (laughs) No. I'm I'm not there yet. It's like throwing a stick at an elephant. (laughs) I mean, it's you have to practice that every day. It becomes a lifestyle. Like, yeah. You are the Adelaide man. We're not there. Maybe no. someday we're not there. No. So no. part of the appeal for us is that you do. You, you're you getting to use and hopefully harvest a deer with, with some weapons that you don't use in the other parts of the year, and that's because they're a little more difficult. You know, one is uh, is a muzzleloader, and so those of you that know what that is, that's a black powder rifle. So more, more like, um, you know, your Civil War times where you're pouring your black powder into your rifle, you're packing, uh, then it would have been a wad and then your bullet, but today your wad and your bullet's kind of all one. Uh, so, yeah, your let bullet, me. Your bullets are jacketed, but you're actually taking a ramrod and you're pu- putting this down from the end of your. That's barrel. what makes it a muzzle loader, is right. that you are you are loading everything from the end of your gun, mm-hmm. from the, the front end of it, the, the barrel, the. Everything's coming in from there and you're pushing it down into that barrel. And that makes it so more difficult than the firearms that we have today. Yeah. You know, that we, we call modern. Yeah. Right. So um, what's difficult about a muzzleloader or a black powder rifle? One, you get one shot. It's not a repeating arm. So you right. make your shot. It's either a good shot or it's not. Two, the smoke cloud. It's true. It's really cool. Some yep. people call it the old smoke pole. When you pull that trigger, you get this big puff of smoke. It's actually pretty hard to see where your shot placement was, where where the, the animal shooter. goes, what happens. Right. What I learned is, is when, if, if you have someone, like when you and I are group hunting, or not group hunting, when I am following behind you, especially trying to record you, um, when I know you're getting ready to take that shot, I usually try to take a knee or get down because yes. I can't see through it either behind you, but you can when you're at a distance away. So um, it does take your vision when you're the shooter, takes it away. Yeah. So that's a whole other part of the game is now that you've made the shot, don't really know if it was good or not because you couldn't, you can't see, and so you have to be able to go track and find this animal. The other part that is always kind of frustrating for me is the gun itself is a lot of work because once you pack that in there, you have to shoot the rifle to to unload it. I mean, technically you don't. You can take your breech out Correct. and pack it all out, but yes, 
this black powder is very corrosive and, and dirty. So you really, you get a couple, two or three shots out of it. Then you have to completely clean it before you can use it again. So if that's you the don't third clean one really is, well, is cleaning it, yeah. the cleanup. That's, that's a huge reason why modern ammunition and firearms today are so much better. Yep. Because they're easier to use. They're more functional. Yeah, you don't have to clean them as often. They're a lot easier to clean. They're not as corrosive. I mean, if you don't properly clean a black powder rifle, it, it when you get it out the next year, it will be so rusted and ate up, it's done. Yeah, it's uh, ruined. Yeah. You have to really take good care of them. The fourth is weather. So you and I had to be careful because if it's pouring down rain it's very difficult to use a muzzleloader yeah black powder and moisture don't mix right so that black powder cannot get wet and that's a challenge when out hunting so i think you can maybe now see why muzzleloader would be an example of alternative season because it isn't well many years ago they used to hunt with them they used right. to use them for defense uh in war that's what, I mean, that's was, what yeah. they used you know and it's, repeating arms right and then today we've made it um, a whole lot easier to to do all those things with with the firearms that we have today. And I'll say this: there are some companies out there that make some really amazing black powder rifles. I mean, almost they're not repeating arms, but man, they've really come. They shoot really well. They're rifle barrels. They're easier to clean. I mean, they've really have some advancements in right. the area. That it's a lot easier than traditional. I have an old. Mine's, it's an old traditions rifle and it's an inline, so it's not a break barrel. So it makes things even a little more difficult. But with all that being said, even with all the advancements, you are not going to shoot as far and as accurate with a black powder rifle as you are. Say you pull out your 300 mag that's tuned in. You're not going to shoot the same distance and accuracy with, with a big uh, rifle like that. Something else I think we have to add to help people understand black powder. And for those that do shoot black powder are going to be like, well, you forgot um, you know, they are fired by using either a flintlock or a percussion cap. Right. And that is different than, mm -hmm. than our other firearms. So, you know, you, you have to apply that cap, which you're using precision caps. Yeah. And, and we've had some, uh, we've had some errors with that in past years. And, mm -hmm. and then even this year with, within how it operates and has led to some easy harvests, uh, not coming to fruition because, because of some of the area equipment, there's a lot more room for air with a black powder than with a center fire rifle. Another real appeal for us is the opportunity to check off a bucket list item. And both you and I on our bucket list, we want to harvest a whitetail deer with our handguns. Neither of us, we've never done that. Right. Um, we both want to do that. Um, 45 is what we have now. I've been looking at some other options of, of kind of stepping it up a little bit, but being able to harvest a whitetail with a handgun is, is on that list. We want to check that off someday. And you're allowed to use handguns of the correct caliber to go out during alternative method season so ben that's your main thing that you take with you you take a, a 45 pistol out and that's kind of your hope is that you're going to get an opportunity to harvest one definitely is you know i think in years past i have taken my bow and my pistol um but realizing i need to really pinpoint i need to narrow it down and, and get serious with one and that's what i've started yep. to do you know, um, you and I have traded off before where, where you work on black powder first and, and work on harvesting one. And once you do, then I usually borrow your, your yeah. black powder rifle and, <laughs> and hunt with it. Right. So, but in the meantime, like while you're doing that, I really want to harvest one with a pistol and man, I thought I was going to be able to do that this year. Uh -huh. I worked really, really hard and came close. I was going to say, you did pull the trigger a few times. I did. Yeah. I did. Not always at deer though. That's right. You know, during alternative season, 
there are other things that you can take. We've talked about black powder. We've talked about um, pistol. And, you know, you can also take Adelatl. You can take, well, I guess any kind of pistol. You know, you and I were talking if we had the um, AR platform pistols. Yeah. There's men that are using those um, at this time of year. But we only took the rifle and the pistol. And going out, that's just so difficult because you're talking about the patterns of these deer. So at the time that we were going, these deer were not just constantly moving and, and looking for food. We don't even have food plots on this on this land that we're at. So, um, you know, you were telling me if we had food plots like right here and right here, like we could sit over there and the, the deer would be coming there every day. And, and, and it would. It would make things a lot easier. So we're not only having these barriers because we're, we're using tools that aren't as um, – easy to use you know we have that challenge we also have this challenge of we don't know exactly where these deer are right and then we think we do and we get there and they're not there yeah and so uh, there are other challenges too just to kind of tell about the property more um it's not huge i mean right. it's it's what about 300 acres we'll say so you also have this if, if you're jumping bedded deer you might be jumping and pushing them onto neighbors right because we do have neighbors right property yeah. that that some neighbors we have access to be some on of and them some allow us right. others don't want us to be that way so we kind of that all goes into your plan of how you're going to approach these bedding areas if i do if i do jump these deer are they going to go back onto a property that i have access to or am i going to push them off um so you're thinking about all that also this property is uh there's a lot of horse uh, riding trail riding on this property so there's a lot of trails that we can walk on but you were mentioned this year they're very covered usually you can have uh, you know if you've ever seen where a horse walks it's about a foot width path but it's down to dirt and we can walk s- sorry down to soil i don't want to i don't want to mess that up it's down to soil and you can uh, walk so silently because you're not crunching these leaves but it's completely covered this year um and it was hard to really sneak the way we have in years past. So we were taking the approach of, of what we were calling wind bumping and trying to play the wind, and we would split up, and one of us would let our scent blow down through where we believed these deer were bedded, and the other person would be on the other side of that, hoping these deer would sneak out on the other side of the bedding to us. But I want to pause for just a second from the hunting tactics and really talk about what's going on um, biologically with deer this time of year. This is such a tough time for them. And I, and I kind of started talking about with you, uh, was it yesterday when we were out? Was mm-hmm. it two days ago we had the storms? We had some wicked storms come through two, two nights ago. And I'm talking howling winds. They were supposed to be tornadoes and hail, but I don't think there ever was any tornadoes and hail. But really... Not here, the, the, all those happened down south. Yeah, yeah down, down south in Arkansas. Yeah. 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 But we had some really intense rain and wind and just really nasty storms. And I said, man... These deer were out here all night in this, and we were sleeping in our warm beds, and then they have to deal with us coming out here the next day trying to kill them. And it's just a tough time of year for them. There is not a lot of food. I mean, a deer is out there to to survive, and they need food and water and a place to stay safe, cover from elements and predators, and then they're supposed to have babies and go on. So right now, you they've been through their breeding season. You have pregnant does. And you have bucks that have just went through the rut and lost 25 to 30% of their body weight, and they're all trying to survive. We're going into January and February, which is the hardest months of the year here. Hardest months. Hardest. Why is it hardest? It's going to be cold, sometimes down into you know low, low negatives, negative 10, negative 20. Very, very little food. 
most of your acorn crops now, even though it was a great crop this year, most of it's ate up and consumed. But and they can't just eat acorns, though, either, right? No, a, a full acorn diet is not nutritious. That'd be like if, if all you ever ate was white bread. Mm, that's all you ever that'd ate. Be good, though. I know you love oh. it, but you just... You would wither away because you're just getting all these carbs. So you're right. not you're not getting um, a bunch of nutrients and, and protein. You're not. It's not a balanced diet. Deer need protein. You know, you go buy a deer pellet from MFA and you're talking 18 to 20 percent protein. And you're definitely not getting that out of a out of an acorn. So, not a great diet to begin with. And this property that we're hunting and most of the property around for miles and miles and miles. That's all it is. You got fescue pastures and you've got hardwood timber stands that aren't well managed so there's no understory there's not a lot of greens and forbs for them to harvest on so right now they're eating buck brush which is little to no nutritional value i even saw some cedar brows where they're browsing on cedars they might get some vitamin c out of it but they're not going to stop and make a tea out of it like you would <laughs> <laughs> or they're eating what's left of acorns and it's just not enough for them to put the body weight back on and the fat layers that they need as a matter of fact we actually saw well, the, the buck I had an opportunity to shoot yesterday, we actually think that three days earlier, we saw this buck with its antlers and had an opportunity to harvest it. And then because of the stress, it already lost its antlers. And it's not unnormal for bucks to be shedding their antlers this time of year. But what is actually causing that is their testosterone levels going down. And that is supposed to happen so they can grow new ones. But on really healthy pieces of property and really healthy deer herds, where there's not a lot of stressors. They have a lot of food. Predators are being managed. They have proper bedding area, food, water. They have everything they need. I have seen and worked on properties where deer are holding their antlers just up to a couple weeks before they start regrowing them in April. Well, you know, like at the end of March. So we for sure saw bucks that have already shed antlers, and, and that means they're stressed somehow, whether they have an injury or they're being chased too much by predators or just not food. So... Because we saw some, we know these are stressed deer. There's not a lot of food. We've had some really, really cold in the past, even though it's warm now. We had negative 30 wind chills a, a week or so ago, or maybe it was two weeks ago. So these deer are stressed. Um, all that to be said, it is a tough time of year for these deer, and you have to take into account what the deer herd is doing on your property when you're going out for late season hunting. Yeah, and we talked about season. Our season here in Missouri runs from December 24th to January 3rd, and so that's that's the amount of days that we have to use alternative methods. Right. And that's what we did. We kind of went here towards the end of it. Um, and like you said, a lot of challenges. And this year, we struck out. Right. But we, we took that we took that still hunting approach. And, and we saw a lot of deer. I think at least 10 to 20 yeah. every day we went out. And we right. hunted uh, four days, four or five days. I think there was one day in there in the middle where we, we couldn't go. We had some obligations. But I think, I think we went four days. Um, and, and covered a lot of miles. I think you had eight miles on your, your pedometer yeah. yesterday. Yes, I did. So we covered a lot of miles. I asked how your legs were this morning, and you said, I feel like I worked out. <laughs> yeah, you did. Yeah, because it isn't flat. I mean, it's it's rolling hills. It, yeah, a lot of up and down and up climbing rocks, and then, yeah, the rain came and everything was wet and crossing creeks, and I had shoe issues, rubbing holes in my feet, and uh, brand new shoes too, dadgummit, so... You know, your, your gear is important, too, on, on what you got. And we had some opportunities. Um, I think it was our our first day out. Um, I had an opportunity to actually harvest several deer, but I, I had picked out an eight-pointer. Mm -hmm. and, and what had happened was I, there's a trail that goes down the spine of this ridge, you know, follows the ridge. And I was easing down this trail, and 
you were the next ridge over and your wind was blowing towards me. So if there's any deer bedding down where we thought they were between these two ridges, these deer were going to come back over towards me. So I got to a section, what we call the, the four way. You've got basically tra a trail going over the ridge and a trail going through the ridge and they cross and make a four way. And I got to that. And as I got to that, I heard, and it was so loud that I wasn't sure what was coming. It was so loud. And so I kind of tucked over to the side of the road. And as I did at the same time, here come all these deer and they, they saw me. Well, they ran down over the hill, the same direction I'm, I'm watching and they just kept coming. And I think at one point I was like, I think it's 15 end up being nine. Um, but they went down the hill and then they, they crossed the trail down below me. They're just wide out in the open. They each took a turn crossing the trail. So I got down on one knee. I got my gun up and got ready. And as I'm here comes, there was a good buck in, in there, a, a nice eight point buck. And he steps out. I get steady. I put it right on him. He's just standing broadside. I'm going to say probably around a hundred yards standing broadside. And my inline rifle, it's like a bolt action. And you have to let this bolt down. And basically when you pull the trigger, this bolt slams forward, hits the cap. The cap makes a spark. Boom, the rifle goes off. So I pulled the bolt down into fire position, I thought. I pulled the trigger and it nothing was there. Like I couldn't, there was no life in the trigger. Nothing was happening. It wasn't like a click. It was just nothing was happening. And these deer are just standing down there looking at me. I'm out in the open. They're, they're looking at me. And I look down. And when I had let this bolt down into the fire position, it wasn't back. You know, it has to be in the back position. So when I pull the trigger, it slams forward. Well, it had just, it was all the way forward on the cap. It, it couldn't go. And so I'm sliding it back, trying to get it to lock so that I can then pull the trigger. And it is not locking. And I'm just pulling it and pulling it. And then one at a time, the deer hop off the trail. Then the next one hops off the trail and hops off the trail. And I cannot get this thing. And I'm like frantic trying to get this thing to lock in position so I can pull it up and pull the trigger. And at this point, I'm like, I don't even care what deer's left. I'm going to shoot whatever's down there. And finally, I stand up. And as I stand up, I get it to click in. And all that's left is a spike buck. And before I can get my rifle up, he jumps off the trail too. And I thought, well, what in the heck? Like, it is hard enough still hunting to get an open shot at a deer. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, their whole premise of life is to survive. Mm -hmm. And they're really good at it. Really, really good at it. And so to have the opportunity to do it and then for it to not happen, I was just, I was pretty disheartened. But it was our first day out. And I knew we had four, three or four more days. So I was like, ah, well, they ran into the property. We can get around them. We'll find them again. Um but man, that was really the best opportunity we had all week. It was, it was. On that first day. Yeah, we usually have two to four tags that we still want to fill at yeah. the end of the year. You and I, um, you know, you had an any deer, I had an any deer, so we were we were ready to harvest any deer, right. <laughs> any deer that we could get a hold yeah, of. We're still using our rifle tags, and I didn't rifle hunt, and mm -hmm. you just got to go a few days, so we didn't use, we didn't get to use them. And uh, today's the last day, and we're podcasting instead of hunting. So tag soup is what we're gonna have. Tag soup That's for right. supper tonight. That's right. I'll use them to make a fire to to heat up a can of green beans. There you later. go. There you go. Warm <laughs> warm your toes up. Um, yeah. So I was kind of disappointed in that, but yeah, we had more days to hunt. And years past, you and I have been able to harvest one to two deer. I mean, we've we've made I, it happen. I was really confident because there are some other parts of the property that are open pasture, but they have I'm going to call these draws, or you can call them ravines that are timbered, and it's almost like a comb. You've got your big main 
wooded draw, and then it has wooded fingers like a, if it were a hair comb picture going off of it up mm-hmm. into this pasture, but it's very steep. It's all uphill, and then the draw's down in the bottom. But a lot of times, if the wind's right, one of us will be down in the bottom, and one of us will go wind bump or maybe even walk into a little bit and push these deer out of these draws that are bedded in there down to the person at the bottom. And it has been so effective for us, so effective um, in past years. Matter of fact, we've kind of even been selective. Like, well, we'll pass the the doe fawns and we'll we'll take the the bigger mature does out of this. Um, there wasn't a lot of deer up there this year. No, it's not at all. It just seemed different. I mean, a lot of things you were not. It was different. Why do you think it was different? Well, we there's one this. thing that that has changed yep. from the years past. Um, um, the landowner actually harvested timber right. this year. Uh, I guess it had been last year. Uh, or before season open, I'll say it that way, and um, yeah, I've really seen some changes now with yeah, and it's a high grade timber harvest, so basically, uh, take the best and leave the rest. Right. So they take all the best trees and leave all the not best trees. They even, uh, they even took a, down a lot of the trees that they maybe thought they were going to take and then didn't even take them. They're just laying there. So there's a lot of dozer decks. There's a lot of down. The treetops are still there. But what it did, it opened up the canopy mm-hmm. on areas of the property that the deer weren't using a lot before because they were just closed canopy hardwood forest. They weren't using it a lot because there's not a lot of cover, not a lot of food in those areas. Well, now it's had a full growing season and there's a lot of cover there. And so these are now new bedding areas for these deer. And so these deer have more options and more better quality bedding. And they're moving about the property different different than they have in the past. So it it, had, it made it more difficult for us. We had to cover more miles and, and more elevation change. Yeah, there's two changes that I, I think I've noticed. One was that, yeah, they're not where we thought they were going to be, mm-hmm. um, especially each day. But in years past, before that, that timber change, sometimes we, we would run them off property. Yeah, And so they would go off property, and, and it seems like this year – they really held tight to this property. They we just kept pushing them to different different parts of it. Yeah, they've got the best bedding now because right. of that. Be, right. Because of the canopy being opened up, it will result in less food because a lot of those high producing, mass producing, mature oak trees that they took are no longer producing food. But there's so many other mass producing trees on that property. They're probably going to be okay. Um, but it is mainly a, a mass property, and then you're going to have some forbs and stuff in these areas that the canopy's opened up. So. All in all, it probably made the habitat better uh, for now. Um, yep. But there are also a lot of weeds that have kind of come in where they've disturbed um, with the equipment. Uh, so there was a lot of perillament and things that have come up. Um, some fire would do a lot, a lot of good yeah. for that property. We're we're not, we don't, we have rights to hunt the property, but we don't have rights to manage it. So we're not going to be able to do some prescribed fire. But it would really take if you ran some fire through those areas. Now that it's been a year or two and cleaned up some of those tops and and. And, and really took care of some of the saplings and stuff that come up and stimulated some forbs, man, it would really, it would really, really help that property. But all that being said, the point of that is when you change the habitat, the deer behavior is going to change too. They're going to mm-hmm. adapt to the changes on the property where they're living. Yeah. And so even though I, I struck out in harvesting a deer, I have two opportunities that I were amazing. Uh, one that I had never even thought i would see or be a part of yeah please and tell that story and unfortunately you didn't have a camera going on it but no. my goodness and i wasn't there to watch it because i was i was waiting for you to push deer to me yeah but this this is really cool so we had already been through this area you and i we'd already 
blown it out with our smell, with our physical presence of walking through it, trampling. Right. <laughs> we were through this area, and we got down to the other end of the property, and that's where you stayed. And I said, I'm going to make another pass. So I, I went way back and made a huge circle yeah. and came back out and started again. And as I started again... Um, getting your eight miles in. What's that? You were getting your yeah, eight miles Yeah, I got my eight in. miles in. As I started again, I went back um, kind of the same route that I had walked, which is which is not in the bottom through the tree line. It's actually up in the in the open pasture because I can see now into the bottom and all the leaves are gone. I can see into the bottom. Yeah, you're, you're a little bit higher up. And I get have higher the, yeah. in elevation so I can see down below because if the deer were down there, great. Now I'm going to keep trying to physically push them, mm-hmm. you know, by either me getting to harvest or, or bumping them up ahead to where maybe they'll come by you. And so being up there, I'm walking towards these fingers that you talked about, the like on a comb, right. you know. And so I walked up. It's what we call our number one. It's the very first. It's not the first one we come by, but it's it's the first one that you and I want to push. Yeah. And so it's the number one. And so I come up on number one. And as I'm walking up, I see some movement in the middle of it. And I'm like, what is that? And so I quickly look over to my right and I see the butt of a deer. But then I see some movement then back to my left. And, and that's, now, what kind of distance are we talking here? We're talking like maybe 10 feet. So di- between the two movements, between the deer butt and the movement you see to the left, two feet. 10 Which, feet. You know, Brian and I have been like deer fever. So there's been areas where I see like a blue jay because a blue jay's got white on it or <laughs> or a dove, you know, and it's got like black and white under its feathers. That's its, I keep seeing like white tail, like there's yeah. a white tail, right? So I see the rump of this deer and about 10 feet to the left is the rump of a coyote now this sucker the reason let me give you some some context here i feel like i'd seen this same coyote because we had saw i'd i jumped a coyote yeah you're like, two working, days you were working through one of these bedding areas that we talked about that newly created from the timber harvest you were working right. through one of those and i had been explaining to you ben these dozer decks everybody thinks about these dozer decks as small game habitat but these are really great denning areas right. for denning animals like foxes and coyotes so Kind of a contradiction there. So a lot of these dozer decks are actually great predator habitat too. And sure enough, yeah. as you're working by some. I bumped one. Yeah. And the reason that I remember this coyote is because his coloration of his fur reminded me of a German shepherd. Like the way that the colors, it looks like it looked like the colors of, of a German shepherd. Mm-hmm. And so when I saw it the second time, I was like, that's that looked just like the one. Am I 100%? No. Yeah. But when I saw his rump, I thought, oh my gosh, here he is again. And so that's when I drew, and as I'm drawing my pistol, because one of them's going down in my head. It's either it's either gonna be <laughs> how far how far are you away from them? At you know, this point? I am 30 yards. Oh wow, I'm 30 yards from the coyote, and then at another 10 feet from the coyote is away from the of the coyote. Then is the uh, okay. is the spike buck, yeah. and this again this is happening so fast but as i'm taking it in i'm seeing this coyote like stalk like a i'm gonna say a house cat yeah. like to a you know a mouse around the corner like this thing is low and i mean it is in tune it is just all present for this deer and the buck is clueless the buck seemed like he had no idea that it was there it was so weird and that's why in those milliseconds i'm like is this buck sick is is it is it hurt right you know and so when I when I draw as I'm starting to move now both of them are keying in on me, so I don't think the deer has any idea that the 
coyote's still there, but yeah. he sees me. But the coyote knows that I'm there, and he sees me. So the moral of that story is a coyote's better at sneaking up a deer than you are. Correct. <laughs> they are. <laughs> Definitely are. But thinking through after all that was done, where the wind was blowing at that time, there was no way that that deer could smell that coyote the way right. the, the, the coyote was playing the wind. Absolutely was. And he was, and it was, mm-hmm. it was crazy. He was like 10 feet from this deer. So as I draw, they start moving. Well, the coyote, he starts moving faster towards this deer, yeah. which in my head, I'm like, oh, no, you ain't. You, you know, <laughs> I didn't even care about the deer at that time. I'm like, I'm killing this coyote. Uh-huh. I'm saving this deer's life. So I, I draw, well, I start running. As I'm running, now the coyote's running towards the deer. Well, now the, the deer's like, what's going on? And it starts running. So now I'm running, not parallel, because I'm not even with them, but we are all running parallel with this. Is this is this like one of those jokes of walking to a bar? A, a coyote, a deer, and a man are running down a hill. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> it was a joke. The whole thing was, was crazy, because now I'm like, which one do I, what do I do? Well, the deer actually comes out at the head of that draw uphill mm-hmm. and shoots off to the right. The coyote, because I'm running, I'm scaring him now. Now he goes to the left. And actually, as he's coming out to the left, he's coming out towards a trail that's open, clearing. So I can see him, and I see the the deer that's quite a ways to my right now. Really too far for a pistol shot. Yeah. But the coyote was in range. And this is about the time I heard, whop, whop. Yeah, and that's when, and you know, I should have got more set. I really should have aimed, but it was more out of like, get out of here. Yeah. But I drew up on him, and, and I took two shots. The first shot, I was low. So, I mean, I saw the, I mean, it went into the ground. I could see it. And and then as I pulled back up to take my second shot, he's even farther away. He's running from me. I was about, well, it looked like like four feet two up and to the left of him as he's yeah. running away. And as I, as I, <laughs> Swinging a miss. as I missed, then I kind of like, oh gosh, I still have a deer, you yeah. know? But as I come back, he's up on this ridge. He's walking away from me. I don't know what's on the other side. I know that there's been horses before. There's a road not too far from there. I'm like, right. I'm not going to risk it. I let him go. You know, I, I didn't. I say let him go. I didn't shoot at him. Yeah. And from there, I was kind of in turmoil of like, should I chase after this this yodi or go for a deer? So I went after the deer. As I got back to the ridge where he was, I looked over, could not find him anywhere. I had actually pushed him now oh, even farther away from you. So uh-huh. I was like, I want to get back on track. I know there's more deer. Let's keep trying to get uh, – let's, let's, let's push some more deer towards Brian if we can. Right. And that's what I did. I, I missed um, – but – that story, why I share it, is because I have never seen a coyote in the action of chase of like of hunting a deer. You know what I mean? You and I have have seen we've had coyotes coming at us down the same trail that deer mm-hmm. are. We know that coyotes hunt deer, you know, and they'll push deer. I have never seen one ten feet like stalking, right? Like almost pounced on a deer, and then I kept him from doing it. It's wild. It was wild. Well, I'm glad you saw it, and I have taught for a long time um, that a coyote will, will hunt a full-grown deer. A spike buck, so a year-and-a-half-old deer. It's fully, I mean, it's fully grown. It's a full-body-sized deer. And I have heard people teach. I've heard people tell me I'm crazy when I tell them a coyote will take down a full-grown deer. People will say, oh, only when they pack up. Well, if you've listened to some of our past Myth Monday co- podcasts, coyotes don't really pack up into big, huge packs. That's 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 a myth. And so people know and will usually acknowledge that coyotes 
predate on the fawns heavily. They'll they'll take the doe fawn or doe fawns. They'll take fawns. They don't care if it's a doe or if it's a buck, but they will obviously because they're more matching size. But when you start talking about a deer being so much bigger than a coyote, you're talking about a hundred to a hundred and fifty pound animal versus a 20 pound animal or a 25 pound animal, there's a big difference there, but they will, they will predate on a full size deer, take them down and, and, and have a big meal, take pieces back to their den, whatever they have to do. So I'm glad you got to see it and witness it. I have heard biologists tell me that they won't take down a full size deer. Um, but I think I've told you before, no Ben, they will. Yeah. Um, and you, you believe me, but now you've got to see it. I um, did. And, and I have never seen that in person like that. What shocked me the most was that this deer seem to be so clueless yeah and i've seen why... them chasing them like right. like but not in this not in the that stock mode that you saw that's i think that's pretty unique that you got to see i mean you were likely you likely encountered the very i mean you were moments away from the actual attack right and i i've had coyotes push deer by chasing them but you're talking the deer comes by and you don't even know there's coyotes and then a couple minutes later here come the coyotes by but not this 10 feet away stalking that's incredible that you got to witness that and with that, I do feel like maybe he was sick. Something was wrong with this spike buck. And I say that because... Again, it's a tough time of year. Not a lot of food out right. there. Right. You know, whenever you whenever you spook a, a deer, they'll raise their, their tail and they'll blow and woof, you know, and they'll run away and blow and like get mm-hmm. out. Even after I'm chasing it, you know, as I'm running and, and trying to like do whatever I was doing, whether it was spooking the coyote or, or harvesting this, this spike, I was moving at them, trying to get them. But this guy, he just, he still, he ran faster than us, but he's kind of like he still didn't care. Right. Like something just wasn't right with him. And, you know, if, if the coyote smelt that, knew that, took the opportunity of, I want this one because he's weaker, Uh then rightly so, I get it. And if that's the case, I wish he had just cleaned it out of the, out of the the group of deer we were trying to hunt, right? So, um, anyway, I tried, I failed. Yeah. Didn't kill anything. Yeah. And, and that was a little, it was Cool story, but still a little disheartening because we know um, we're getting to the end of the season. We still haven't harvested anything, and this will be the first the first muzzleload season or alternative method season that we started hunting this property that we don't get anything. We always get something, um, and so we kind of took a little break. We reconvened and, and had a snack, and it's getting later in the day, and we decided, well, let's go back up. These deer that we saw this morning on the other side of the property, they've probably settled back into their bedding areas now let's let's split up again and, and work towards them um and that's what we did and and you had went up to an area where i had an encounter earlier that morning uh with the buck that had already shed its antlers this buck you had pushed it straight to to me and it was i was in its line of path i was sitting up against a tree and as it came out of the brush it was about five yards away from me and I was in its way. So it locked up real quick, changed direction, and ran in front of me at seven yards. And I could have shot him right there when he when he just locked up because I had heard them coming, so I had spun that way. But as he locked up, I saw that broad head and, and those antler pedicles, and I realized this was a buck without his antlers. And I'm not going to—this buck has worked so hard to get to—I'm going to say he was, he was definitely a two-and-a-half-year-old, maybe a three-and-a-half-year-old buck. If he's gotten to that age through what they have to go through, I'm going to let him go— hopefully to next season and give somebody a, a chance to harvest an antlered buck. I mean, everybody wants to do that. There's other people that hunt there. We're mm-hmm. going to hunt there again. Mm-hmm. There's kids that hunt there. I'm not going to take that from him this year. So I let him go. Um, 
and and you had moved back to that exact spot where that happened to me that morning and I went down and was working the route that you walked and that's where I was tiptoeing all these miles up the backside of the ridge um, and I heard you pull your trigger again you want to tell what happened this time you didn't hear me pull my trigger you I heard, heard the, the gunshot yeah <laughs> so this story <laughs> you know there's a lot of emotion in it I'm frustrated um I had, I mean, I was like so nervous. I was shaking. I was excited. I already told how I didn't make sure my gun was cocked before we went in. That cost me one. So, so so here was my chance. Um, Like I said, hunting with a pistol. Brian had had kind of made that loop again, and and I'm sitting still. And I actually cleared out a bunch of leaves. Um, I found a tree that I wanted to do that by so that I could sit down by it, stand by it. But I was like, I'm going to hang in this spot. And this spot was allowing me to, to really have a shot 360 degrees around me. Um, it's in that four-way spot, like Brian was talking about earlier, this this kind of this four-way trail. And I still felt exposed, but I felt like it was the right place to be because if I heard them moving, I could, I could move easily and yeah. get where I needed to go. So after probably, I was probably there 20, 15, 20 minutes, um, I started hearing some movement in the bottom. But for those of you that hunt, you know, is it armadillo? <laughs> is it squirrel? Is yeah. it what? You know, My what's coming through? I've even had neighbor's dogs coming through. Right. You know, you always have to be so careful. You never know what's going to come through. And here I'm hearing this noise. I'm kind of getting excited. Well, on the hill, on the hill that was actually um, northwest of me, saw some movement, saw some legs, knew it was deer. Thought I was counting three, but wasn't quite sure. But I'm like, I got to move. Well, in my head, they were going to keep walking the way they were walking and hit an actual trail, a, a, a path. And I'm like, I got to get there before they are. So I start moving down from my tree, down this trail to another intersection. What's in between me in this intersection is I'm talking gnarly, nasty briar, briar and, and shrubs. Yeah. And I mean, it is so thick. It's like, can a rabbit even get through right. there, right? So that's what's actually um, camouflaging me from the deer. You know, they can't see me there. And so I'm waiting and I'm waiting. I'm waiting for them to, to come. And really, the way they were going to approach me would have been broadside. I had my pistol up. I was looking down my pistol. I had my hands ready. Yeah. Everything was ready. You were ready. And Are you, I, you're on a knee at this point? W- yes, I did. I went down to a knee. And the reason is because... The trees, the limbs that were coming off these trees were kind of coming down into my my shot. And so I took a knee because that brought me down below these limbs, and now I have a just a great open shot for as these these deer were going to walk by. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm waiting and waiting and kind of waiting so much that I'm, I'm getting uncomfortable where I'm sitting on this knee, or not sitting, as I'm on this one knee. And I start hearing deer to my right, which is, befo- which is through all that briar thicket you're talking about. So I... I slowly turn my head and here come these deer through the nastiest thicket where you wouldn't think they'd get through and brian they were coming right at me yeah like right at me they're going to step on me (laughs) so as the one in the lead as she kind of puts her head down and i can see it i quickly spin on my right knee and i spin well now it's got my my left leg kind of jacked funky and if try this you just spin on your right knee but your left leg and you're trying to do it slow but I still have my pistol out in front, and I'm ready to shoot. But I can't really get a clear shot, and they keep coming at me. And they're moving at me, and I thought, 
they're going to literally like walk up on me. And as soon as they do, I'm pulling this trigger. Like I was like, if I could, if I could place this pistol right, <laughs> right yeah. on the side, then I know it's a kill. Well, the wind is blowing perfectly. So it is actually blowing in a way that's coming at me. Yeah, so hitting you in the face. It's hitting me in the face and they shouldn't be able to smell me. But the lead, and she was a doe. By this time, I see it's a doe. I know it's a doe. It's not a huge doe. Yeah. But it's one I'm going to harvest because it's coming in range now. It's like maybe five yards. And all it needed to do was take one more step and kind of turn broadside to me. And I had a hole. I had an opening there with one knee shooting through the briars. There were limbs everywhere, but I had seen this hole. And she came up, and her head basically came right up to this hole. And she lifted up, and she looked at me. Yeah. Well, I freeze like yeah. Once once they're that close at five yards, I don't think it matters if the wind's in your face. The wind or doesn't not. matter. No, no. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, well, it's do or die. Well, you got to remember though. When I say she lifted her head, her front legs are bent. Like yeah. she is like she's trying to duck under all these briars, and she's already down. And she as she lifts her heads up, she looks right at me, and I'm, I'm, I'm she sees me. Yeah, she's locked is. and loaded. She's locked and loaded. So as she turns her head. I fire through that hole. I and and honestly, the shot was going to go through her leg. Like yeah. that's that's where it was at. It was through the front leg. It it hit the shoulder. It hit the heart. But it it went through that shoulder plate, and I was ready. I that's that's I took the shot. They all ran down over the hill. I kind of get my bearings a second. Like I took the shot. I didn't see her fall here. Yeah. What just happened? So I stand up. I actually clear all the leaves where I had my knee at, so I knew exactly where I took that shot from. You called me. Yep. What happened? Is it? <laughs> I was like, so excited. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. You know. Well, I said, "What'd you shoot at this time?" That's right. You yeah. did. And you said you did. a doe. You know, I was I was so nervous because the way that the way that I had it planned out in my mind was not the way that it went, which is what's so crazy about hunting. You right. know, you think this is going down this way. And you have to adjust in that moment. Like you had to adjust, and by adjusting, I did the best I could in that moment. But I didn't have a real clear shot. It wasn't mm-hmm. just an awesome opportunity to shoot. But it was my very last shot, the very last opportunity for us to hunt, and I took it. We went over to look. I crawled through those briars. I mean, I was hanging up in there. Yeah, it was I, so. And I thick. came over and met you. We wanted you to do our diligence. Yep, we looked. And I even wanted you to come just double check that I didn't miss something. Right. Um, but we actually found. I missed big time. <laughs> yeah, between, so past where she was. Yep. Where in the direction you shot, you found where your your bullet had hit the tree. Yeah, the bullet was uh, actually embedded in that. Yeah, in that. the bullet was still intact. There was no blood on it, so we were really confident, really confident that it was a, a clean miss. Yep, I, I didn't find any fur or excuse me yep. hair. I didn't find any hair anywhere. But once you shoot like that, once you shoot, and you don't see blood or you don't see deer. You want something to give you this closure, this piece of, man, I clean miss. I didn't injure right. this animal. We, hunters, we don't want to be out there injuring these animals. So that's kind of why you wanted me to come over. Let's let's collectively look and, and put this story together and, and kind of yeah. be able to. And, and we did. We That gave you the piece of like, oh, yeah, there's no, there's no blood on the bullet. The bullet's fully intact in this tree. Like right. it would have fragmented had it went through her leg or into her. Um, yeah, because the shot that I took – there was an opening. I think that I completely, personally, I missed. Like when I when I pulled the trigger because she moved, she moved and she made me pull the trigger. Yeah. Like I was waiting for one more step to get that just 
boom shot. And when she moved, when I pulled, I'm pretty sure I pulled it to the left and yeah, that's how I missed so bad was because of my pull with my left hand. She was only five yards. Next time, just throw it at her. Right? <laughs> that's why I should have been at a ladle, honey, yeah. right? Because I could have. <laughs> I'd have hey, done just as well, I think. Yeah, like you said, though, hunting, all that's happening so fast, and especially when you're hunting and with the tactics that we were, uh, it's all happening so fast, and, and you you can't even process everything that's happening all in the, in the moment. And, and they are trying to survive and they are really, really good at it. God made them so good at their job. Um, it's hard, it's hard to harvest them. And, and that is part of why it, it's awesome. People think you just go out, pick out what you want and you shoot it and you bring it home and, and you have to really put in some work. Um, and, and that's kind of what, I, what I want to end with, you know, late season is an awesome, awesome time, but it is work because a lot of times it's really cold. So you have to have more gear. You have to work to stay warm. You have to, if you're still hunting like we are, you have to cover a lot of miles. I mean, we put in, I don't know how, what did we put in in four days? 30 miles probably? I mean, we, I wore out a pair of shoes. I got blisters on my feet. We're sore today, but we had so much fun with the encounters and we didn't even harvest anything, which it does stink because we had this long streak going of four or five years of, of hunting this property in this way at this time of year of always getting one. Um, we won't be so confident next year, will we? Um, and we, we usually don't have to work as hard as we did. Right. We usually are able to go out for a day or two and, and each fill a tag. Um, but again, that didn't happen this year, even though we worked really, really hard. But I want people to know that deer season, and it doesn't matter what state you're in, they all have these different, these different seasons. And, and next year, there's even more seasons than there was this year. For the first time in several years, they're adding more seasons and more opportunities. But... Don't just get so locked in on your your seven day or your ten day rifle season where you live. Think about these other opportunities. We can still archery hunt. We can still so, archery hunt for you another know, ten days. Right. Yeah. So there is that that possibility and opportunity. Yeah, and if you don't want to jump all the way to archery, maybe yeah, you can you can build a pistol just just for hunting. You know, with with sights and make sure you're picking the right caliber. There are caliber restrictions on what you're using. Get into black powder. It is really fun. It is more work. But that doesn't mean that it's not worth it. And, and this whole hunt, you know, anytime we have these experiences, I always am trying to think, what is God telling me through these? What is God telling me through these experiences? And what he was telling me through this, this these four or five days of us hunting really, really hard was that it's not always easy, that you do have to work hard, exhaust your resources, put everything you into it, everything you have into it, and then you get to enjoy the fruits of your labor. And I've been reading through um, every morning in my quiet time. I've been starting, before I move to other chapters of the Bible, I've been starting with Proverbs. I read a full chapter of Proverbs before I move on. And so one one that I read this week while we were hunting kind of really hit home with me because it's about harvesting game. Um, and it's Proverbs 12, 27. And it says, The lazy do not roast any game, but the diligent feed on the riches of the hunt. I thought, oh, that is so fitting. You have to be diligent and you have to work hard. Um, And that really goes for anything that we do. Nothing great comes easy. And if it does, it's probably not got honestly. And so if you want good things that are honest and worth having and worth keeping, things that honor God, you got to work for them. Mm -hmm. You got to work for them. That's good. And so I hope that our our stories were fun for you to listen to. We definitely had a, a really good time going out there um, a lot of good experiences hopefully next year we we can uh, put some meat in the freezer in our late season but we'll definitely plan to be back out um, today is going to be time to get our gear cleaned up and put away 
I never pulled the trigger on that uh, muzzle loader, so I got to find something to shoot at today and then get it all cleaned up and put away so that it doesn't rust. I hope you guys are enjoying your 2023. I hope you're enjoying what we're doing here with this podcast. I hope you're inspired to go spend some time outdoors, even though that it is winter. There's things you can go do out there. If you want to support us, some really easy ways to do that is follow our social media accounts. We have Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. On each of those social media accounts, there is a link tree link um, in the about portion, and that will take you, you can go to our Patreon, and that's where we really need your help um, is financially. If you can uh, donate to us 5 10 or $25 a month, we'd be so grateful to help us grow this podcast and keep it going. Also, if you're an iTunes user, Please, when you go to our podcast page, give us a rating. Scroll down to the bottom where you can leave us stars, write us a review, let us know how we're doing. When people leave those ratings, it helps us move up the charts so that when people are searching for uh, things in the Christian or the outdoor world, they will find the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. And that really is our goal to grow this because we want more people drawn to creator, be creator and we want more people to go outdoors. People are being pulled away from both those things and we we feel it is our mission to bring them back to them. So that is it for this episode of the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. Thank you again for listening. And as always, between now and our next episode, please find time to get outdoors. Thank you for listening to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast hosted by Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. Please help us by subscribing. Also, follow along on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook.